program created by Rio Grande. Los Angeles Police calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 177. Be on the lookout for three men. Number one, Glenn Harmon, alias Dick Hunt, 830. Number two, Byron, alias Jerry Wolf, 819. Number three, name unknown, age 35 years, driving a Ford V8 sedan. He was in a war by a Missouri sheriff for murder. That's all. Golden Quest. thousand times around the earth. This is the annual mileage of police cars, fire engines, ambulances, and other emergency equipment powered with Rio Grande cracked gasoline. Why this tremendous preference? Why do police officers use Rio Grande cracked when so many other brands are also available? The reason is the Sinclair cracking process. In the West, only Rio Grande can use the Sinclair cracking process. But for the life of me, I can't understand. No matter how much you break up Rio Grande gasoline, you put it all back together again. It looks just like any other gasoline in the pump. Yes, it looks the same in the pump. But it isn't the same. Uh, Miss Kroger, do you know what a wood briquette is? Yes. What is it? It's sawdust pressed into a sort of cylinder. Very well. Now, suppose you had a wood briquette in one hand yes. and a stick of firewood the same size in the other, yes. which will burn easier. Uh, why, the briquette, of course, which will burn more easily. The briquette? Yes, and which will develop the most heat? Well, well I don't know. I'm not qualified to well, tell. Well, I'll tell you. The briquette will. Those tiny grains of sawdust are never pressed back to the density of the original block of wood. They burn quicker, more evenly, more completely, and longer. They develop more heat. Briquettes may look like sticks of wood, but they burn differently. And it's the same with gasoline. Rio Grande may look the same in the pump, but it has been cracked by the famous Sinclair cracking process. You'll quickly notice the difference as soon as Rio Grande cracked gasoline passes your carburetor. It develops quicker, more vital power, burns smoother, lasts longer. This difference is police car performance. Try a tankful tomorrow. And now once again we present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. The police of any large city are apt at any time to be requested to aid in apprehending criminals wanted in another state for some crime. Often, in such cases, a man wanted in Los Angeles will be arrested in New York or Chicago and held for us. Or a criminal wanted by the New York police will be arrested here in Los Angeles. It is this cooperation between the peace authorities of all cities and states that makes it almost impossible to commit a crime and remain long at large. Tonight's story illustrates how effective this communication system was in solving a murder that happened in Missouri. 
Saturday night, March 3rd, 1934. From a vantage point behind the counter of his small Jewish camp headquarters, proprietor R.E. Dugan has been watching with growing annoyance a party of four men drinking at one of the tables. Earlier in the evening, the men had walked in and rented one of his bungalows for the night. And now their drinking was getting on Dugan's nerves. Loud, boisterous, the customers put him in mind of others who had stopped his place in the past. Pretty boy Floyd and Barrows, hard-drinking, fast-shooting criminals, wanted by police in every city of the United States. Suspicious, Dugan waits until the men go to their bungalow, then follows them. From outside the window, their voices carry to his ears a conviction of his thoughts. You want another shot of this stuff before I kill it? Yeah, hang it over here. Let's turn your wise side. Just a couple of feet under if there's nothing much more of it. I didn't know that you wanted to wait for inside here. Ah, yeah, that's just carrying the money to pass. Yeah, it is. Only I don't happen to like that in my direction. Oh, come on, girl. Take it easy. I didn't mean nothing, Brian. Just give me a little, Just give me a little. You've got plenty to do tonight. Yeah, that's right, Jenny. You don't want to be stopped, eh? All right, last button. Yeah. Now, you figure I'm pulling it tonight? That's right. Over the dark, what are you pulling? Sure. What are you waiting for? You're waiting for me for days and we're going. Sure. Sure. That's right, Lance. When's the baby we think? Yes or no? You sure you know the layout, Lance? All right, all right. Let's pull one job there before. Waiting for anything more, proprietor Dugan leaves his precarious spot, hurries to his own cabin, gives rapid instructions to his helper. Well, you take this note, see, and get it over to Hatcher, the deputy sheriff. You, you, you know him, don't you? Yeah. Oh, all right. Tell him that I don't know what these guys are trying to pull, but to get over here as fast as he can, and I'll wait here. Oh, okay, Mr. Dugan. Yes. I'll get him. Yes, and uh, don't lose any time doing it. <laughs> Notified for the boy, Deputy Sheriff Hatcher drives to the little children's camp at top speed. But as he arrives, two cars are pulling away, three men in each. A quick glance into the first one, and Hatcher realizes that two conspirators are well founded. Yes, officer, I can't see. See, anyone? Who else is in it? Well, he couldn't tell, Sheriff. Too dark. All right, you hop back to the phone and tell Sheriff Hodgson about this while I talk to Duke. Right. I've got an idea of something about the pop. Sheriff Paul Rogers of Jasper County loses no time getting into action when told of the suspicious activity of Glenn Harmon and his mob. Men, we've got plenty to do and very little time to do it in. Glenn Harmon's a tough customer. You all know that. Now, I want Captain Eckflick over at Joplin to get his men out on road patrol. I'll get on the phone, Sheriff. All right. I also want every available man in this department to get out and cover the roads near the golf course. Pick up any cars that look suspicious. If you see Harmon, bring him in. I'm going over to the Van Hoos place and see if the old man gets home safely. You think this mob might be after him? Well, he's had several kidnap threats lately. Won't pay any attention to him. I guess it's my guess that Harmon might be behind them. One thing that's sure, if I get a report of anything ever happening in this county tonight, I'll know who did it. 
Fast, fast moving, fast thinking, Sheriff Paul Rogers puts the wheels of the law into instant action. All through the night, Sheriff's cars prowl along deserted roads. Captain Eftwick road patrolmen watch every out-of-town highway on the alert for the two cars described by Deputy Hatcher. And Rogers himself drives to the Van Hooser State. He's the aged capitalist, parked his car in the driveway, enter the house. Apparently, Harmon and his mob are not after Van Hoos, as the sheriff notices nothing to confirm his suspicions. And after watching the house for some time, Sheriff Rogers E. convinced that Van Hoos is safe. Sunday comes and goes, and no sign of Harmon. The excitement of Saturday night dies down. Hired deputies relax their vigils settle once more into the more peaceful job of routine work. Then, Monday morning. Sheriff's office. Sheriff's office. Roger speaking. Sheriff, you better come off the Van Hoot place. Something's happened here. What? Mr. Van Hoot has been murdered. Mur- Who is this speaking? This partner. I'm at the house now. All right. Stay right there. I'll be out as fast as I can. <laughs> on the shoulder and the chest. Yeah. Looks like he tried to do some shooting himself. His gun in his hand has one empty chamber. You think he shot himself, Josh? He didn't have any reason to. Business was fine. No, he didn't do this himself. Someone got nervous and let him have it. That's obvious enough. Say, maybe it was the same bunch that plugged him and took his ring a few years ago. Remember? They found it in St. Louis and got it back for him. Well, that's a good enough theory. Only the ring is still on his fingers, see? Oh, oh yeah, I, I hadn't noticed. Uh, Frank, come here a minute. Yes, sir. Oh, Frank, I'm going back to the office, and I want you to stay around here and follow through on the investigation. What do you want me to do? Listen, Frank, I haven't got time to explain now, but I got a pretty good idea who did this. And the sooner I get started looking for him, the better my chances are. Okay, Sheriff, I'll get all I can here. Check with me at the office when you're through. So long. Immediately after his hasty departure from the murder scene, Sheriff Rogers notifies the police of all surrounding cities and counties to be on the lookout for Glenn Harmon and his companions. Then he himself begins a minute search of Jasper County. The same day, he begins to get results. Just a minute, you. Hello, Sheriff. What's on your mind? You, among other things. Where's your brother? My brother? Yes, Glenn. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen him for months. Oh, that's funny. Maybe your eyes aren't so good. What do you mean? You were with him Saturday night. Come on, Les, I'm taking you in. Hey, now, wait a minute. What's the charge? Until you tell me where Glenn is, the charge is murder. Come on. And with a murder charge hanging over him, Les Harmon decides to talk. Claims that he's innocent, but that Glenn might be at his brother-in-law's house. And there the sheriff finds not Glenn Harmon, but Charlie Napper, known ex-convict. Surprised by Rogers before he can draw a gun, Napper is taken in and questioned. Now, listen, Sheriff, I know how it is. Just because I've got a record in Illinois, you think that everything that happens is my fault. Well, you're all wrong this time. Would you be willing to face the man who runs that little tourist camp? What? 
What for his camp? The one you and Harmon and the boys were at last Saturday night. What's that got to do with the Van Hoosraff? Then you were there. Maybe. Where's Glenn Harmon, Napper? I don't know. Who else is with you at the camp? Jerry Wolf, the only one I knew. Jerry Wolf? Do you mean Byron Wolf? Maybe. I call him Jerry. All right, Napper. You won't tell me where Glenn is, so you and Les are going to take the left. And this time it's murder. First degree murder. That's what you say, sir. For me, I say nothing. And although Sheriff Rogers realizes that his case against Napa won't stand up, he holds him as a material witness, then proceeds to hunt Glenn Harmon. An unfortunate fact turns up when a check on Jerry Wolf's path brings to light the fact that he lived in Colorado. At once, Rogers travels there, makes inquiries. Inquiries that bring sudden results. Sure, I know. You want money, right? Uh, how did you know I was looking for Harmon? All right, come on, spill it, and I'll see that you get what you want. Uh, uh, no, no, you think so. Well, how much? Fifty bucks. Legal robbery, eh? All right, here's your money. Now, how about it? Well, think you can find Harmon in Los Angeles. He's getting mail at 2841 West 8th Street. And that's your assistance in locating one Glenn Harmon, described as follows. Five foot ten, 150 pounds, age 30 years, dark hair, shallow complexion, wanted for murder by Missouri sheriffs. Might be under alias of Dick Hunt. Companion known as Jerry Wolf, alias Byron Wolf, described as follows. 19 years, 150 pounds, six feet, Detective Joe Taylor's office. Boys, I just talked to Jared Rogers in Colorado. He tells me the Harmon lad is tough, shoots first, and talks fast. Now, you've all got the description of both Harmon and Wolf. Get out and make every dive in town and bring them into me if you can. Oh, uh, one thing more, boys. Don't take any unnecessary chances. You know what I mean by that. Los Angeles police are called into the case. Lose no time cooperating with Sheriff Rogers. But despite a further search of the city, detectives find no trace of either suspect. And the weeks go by. Then, March 27th, into the shop of M. Sunshine, Los Angeles Taylor walks a young man. Yeah, yeah, yes, sir. What can I do for you? Put up your hands. Put up your hands. Uh, what? You heard me. Put up your hands. Shoot 
Cleaning, covering ground, sunshine, wardrobe, the trashing shops of a hardwood chair. Managers to escape being hit, and a young man, panic-stricken, abandoned, pulled up ideas and rushes to the street to run directly into the arms of a policeman. Oh, all oh, right, Charles. Let me go. Let me go. Take it easy. You want me to put my hands up? Yeah. I'll show you what I do with my hands. You young man. Hold on. Wait a minute. I told you. I'll show you later. I'll take you a tour in a minute. I'm sorry. I I lost my tongue. Oh. Uh, what's this all about? Uh, this fellow, he, he walks in and shoves a gun in my face. The dome cop, he thinks he can scare me. In Chief Taylor's office a few minutes later, the youth answers questions nervously. How old are you? Twenty. You're about uh, six feet, is that right? About. And your name's Jerry Wolf. Huh? Alias Byron Wolf. What is Missouri? That's right. Why, I... Come on, Jerry. Come on. The game's up. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it is. How'd you know who I was? Your description's been in the pocket of every detective in Los Angeles for two weeks, Jerry. <laughs> I just figured you fitted it. Angeles police in clearing up Sheriff Rogers' problems, but constant drilling of young wolf by Chief Taylor detectives fails to disclose the whereabouts of the leader, vicious Glenn Harmon. Now listen, Jerry, I want to know where your pal Glenn Harmon is. And I can't tell you. Why not? Because I don't know, that's why. Look, kid, this isn't going to get you anywhere. That sheriff from back in Missouri is coming out here pretty soon, just to take you back with him. Now, how are you going? His first-degree murder charges... He can't put anything like that on me. Don't let the sheriff about that, Wolf. Come on, where's my... I told you, he left me a few days ago. I don't know where he is. Where are you living now? Oh, but... Uh, I don't. You don't what? I, I don't live anywhere. Oh, look, Jerry. You say Harlan ran off and left you. Now, why not tell us all about it? Where do you live? What difference does it make? You just want to know, that's all. Well, it won't be any good. That's all right, too, Jerry. Come on, let's go over to your place. You mean... If I tell you where I live, we'll go over there, huh? Sure. Isn't that right, Chief? That's right, Cromwell. Okay. I'll show you. It's a little rooming house. That's the idea. Now, you and Will Craig over with him, Cromwell. Let him get his clothes and stuff. Sure. All right, Chip, let's go. Uh, Cromwell. Yeah? Come over here now. Keep your eye on that kid, I think he's got ideas about slipping us. Yeah, I got that, too. Don't worry. All right, Jerry, we're off. What's all the whispering about, huh? What's coming off? Well, take it easy, kid. Chief Taylor and I had a little personal joke between us, after all. Nothing for you to worry about. Nothing at all. Joined by his partner, N.R. McRae, Cromwell follows Wolf to a small looming house. Twice on the way, he tries to talk to detectives to stop him for a minute. But each time, Cromwell heeds his tailored warning and takes no chance of an escape. And once inside the chapel, furnished room. <laughs> so this is the home, eh, Jerry? Yeah. That's right. Hmm. Quite a wardrobe you've got, kid. Or are all those clothes yours? Oh, sure. Sure, they're mine. Now, these trousers here, they look a little short for a fellow your height. 
So what? So I think it's about time you stop fooling around and give us a straight answer. What, what do you mean? Well, there's two sets of practically everything here. Kid, now, what we want to know is, when is Glenn due back? I told you he ain't with me anymore. Okay. Looks like we'll just have to settle down here for a while, eh, McRae? Well, looks like it. What do you mean? I mean, we're going to sit right here until your friend Harmon comes back. And if you make a move to tip him off, you get drilled. But he isn't coming back here. Now, take it easy. My partner and I don't want to get rough, but if we have to... Okay. I get the idea. Good. Now, we're going to sit in here, just out of line of the door. And you're going to sit in that chair with your back to the door. And you're going to sit there nice and quiet-like and wait. Listen, he'll put me if he thinks I can do it. I can't just sit here waiting for him to walk in and let me have it. Don't worry about that, Jerry. We'll be here to take care of him first. Now, here. Here's a magazine for you to be reading. Matt, suppose you take one side here. I'll take the other. That way we can see the door and also keep an eye on Jerry here, just in case. Yeah. There, now. Now, there's nothing to do but wait. Relax, Jerry. Take it easy and read your magazine. Listen, I can't stand up waiting like this. Ah, Jerry, take it easy. Just remember what I said. Relax. Jerry Wolf leaves the room. Walk a block down the street to a little beer joint. 
Forging ahead of McRae and Wolf, Cromwell enters alone. For an instant, he stands at the door, looking about for Harmon. Then, suddenly, his eyes light as he spots him in a corner booth with two girls. Quietly, he drifts through the crowd, reaches a point beside the booth. Afraid to drop his gun for fear of a general battle in the crowded place, he slowly reaches into his pocket, pulls out a badge. Then, saying nothing, he lays it on the table before Harmon's startled gaze. Uh-huh. Hey, hey, what's this? You're under arrest, friend. Don't start anything or I'll let you have it. Uh, you, you got me wrong, Tosner. I'm not wanted for anything. Come on, Harmon. Get up peacefully and you won't get hurt. Otherwise, I'm taking no chances. and pictures. You will find it good reading, and it's free. 
See your Rio Grande dealer tomorrow. Cancellation broadcast 177. Regarding men wanted by Missouri officials. These men are now in custody. That's all. Rose and Cliff. Frederick Lindsley bid you good night for Rio Grande. <laughs> <laughs>